Last year, I had this guest on to preview the Knicks-Celtics first-round playoff series. Same time of year, but a little bit of a different story this season. I'm joined by Yahoo Sports' Dan Devine from the Ball Don't Lie blog. I'm Brian Giberman. This is another edition of the Knicks Wall Podcast as we wrap up this Knicks season. They play their final game tonight, but everything's essentially over. Dan, how you doing today? I'm very well, thanks. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. Now... Why don't we start here? If you were to give a synopsis of this next season, what would it be? Um, uh, yeah, it was a, a bummer. It was. I feel like that's maybe the the, the, the best way to describe it. Um, uh, things started going wrong pretty early. They want I me. Mean, they started going wrong in the off season when uh, the Knicks imported Andrea Bargnani. Uh, they went. They would continue to go wrong. I mean, opening night, the Knicks, you know, barely beat a Bucks team that lost its starting point guard on like the first, second, or third play of the game. Um, you know, lose on the buzzer beater to, to the Bulls, lose Tyson Chandler shortly thereafter to a broken leg, uh, and you know, and so on and so on. Uh, the 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 issue. There were many, many issues. Um, very, relatively rare bright spots. Um, and the, I mean, maybe the biggest bummer of it all is that uh, the Knicks essentially wasted what might have been the best year of Carmelo, or or at least most productive year of Carmelo Anthony's career to this point. Do you think... What what do you think that shows about Carmelo Anthony? Oh, I mean, I I, I don't think it shows anything negative about Carmelo Anthony. I think it's... I mean, to continue to produce in the way that he did throughout the season, to play the the giant minutes load that he was given, um, take on the responsibility that he had to be the team's primary rebounder and primary uh, primary scorer, um, you know, and to take on a bigger role of facilitating. Uh, I I find it pretty hard to find fault with the things that Carmelo Anthony did on the court this season. Um, I think the, th- the the roster that was built around him had some serious flaws that kept the Knicks from being uh, a you know returning to the same level that they had that they they reached last year, let alone uh, surpassing it. And uh, I think that the roster was managed poorly by the head coach. Uh, and I don't think a whole lot of that has to do with Carmelo Anthony. I mean, doing this podcast and wrapping up the next season, I'm, I want to try and keep things a little bit different. Because, I mean, we've all of us have just gone over these same things over and over and over again. This is something I was thinking about with Mike Woodson from last night. I'm actually going back to last season for a second here. With Jason Kidd. I think he was on what you saw, what he brought to the team last year was a little bit underappreciated with how they fell apart without him last year. And I think a lot of what went wrong with this year can somewhat be linked to him. Um, I think one of the most overlooked things that Mike Woodson did wrong was, and maybe last year is completely different, is how he just abused Kid and how he's done that throughout time with different players. Carmelo, you said this year. But I just wonder how different last year would have been if Kidd would have been fresh at the end of the season. Well, there's no question that he wasn't fresh at the end of the season. You know, uh, the, the things that he was able to do so well early in the season, um, you know, spot up knockdown jumpers, uh, space the floor from three, uh, you know, provide some, uh, you know, not necessarily uh, up-tempo play, but at least get the Knicks out in transition a little bit better. Those things were all so important to the Knicks' early season success, and we're certainly not there, uh, you know, later in the season when Kid couldn't hit a shot to save his life. Um, I mean, I think Mike Woodson approaches it 
in a little bit less of a proactive way in terms of minutes management and you know sort of roster juggling than some other coaches that we've seen around the NBA. Basically, I think it's there's sort of an old school approach. It seems where if the you know the medical team says this guy is available, if if he's given the the player and told he's available to play, then Mike Woodson's going to play him, and he's going to and if if that player gives him the best chance to win that night, he's going to play him as much as he possibly can, um, as much as is needed to win that night, or as much as he perceives that that player is needed to win that night. And that's, uh, you know, we've seen a number of teams find successful uh, approaches with other, you know, sort of taking another tack, uh, you know, the most obvious example being the San Antonio Spurs, that sort of, we're not going to worry as much about tonight as we are going to worry about the long term. And if we keep everybody around 30 minutes or under, or if we, you know, find different rotations and ways to manage minutes, give guys a couple of nights off here and there to keep their legs fresh, we think that'll be better for us in the long run. Uh, that's certainly something that Mike Woodson didn't really approach either last year or this year, and yet yeah, certainly doesn't seem to have helped the Knicks. I'll give Woodson this. What the Spurs do with Popovich, I think, is and how they're able to win playing lineups and guys the amount of minutes they do, I think is a kind of a unique situation that they're able to pull off because of the incredible level of talent and how good their coaching staff is. But I do think you could balance it out a little bit better. You think that's fair? Uh, I think it's very fair, and I think it's, I mean, certainly no one would confuse the depth of the Knicks roster with that of the San Antonio Spurs. You know, there are, uh, you know, on one level it's, uh, you know, the Spurs add, add pieces uh, and, you know, find pieces that seem to best fit the systems that they want to run both offensively and defensively, but the coaching staff also has a, a really amazing track record of uh, you know, figuring out what the things are that those players that are, that they're given do really well, and then you know, trying to maximize the efficiency of those things. Um, that said, I think that the Knicks roster did have a couple of options that Woodson could have leaned on a lot harder than he did. I mean, it, you know, we we know it's it's sort of been proven out over time that older players tend to break down at a higher rate than younger players. It's not exactly rocket science to figure that out, but there is actual science behind that. Um, and there were some younger guys on the bench, uh, you know, most notably uh, Toure Murray at the point guard position. Uh, you know, Jeremy Tyler did get some runs sort of the second half of the season after he was able to come, uh, come in. Cole Aldrich was basically a non-factor throughout the season. These are not star caliber players necessarily, but players who could have provided, you know, at the very least, uh, you know, some minutes of time to maybe ease the burden on some of the guys the Knicks were leaning on a little more heavily. And, uh, you know, maybe if given more opportunity, more floor time, could have sort of blossomed into something a little bit bigger. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, um, it's, it's certainly not the same situation that Pop had uh, to, to has to deal with in San Antonio. But I think that, yeah, it, it is fair to say that Mike Woodson maybe didn't maximize all of the players that he had available to him. And to what you just said about Murray and Aldridge specifically is that they covered up maybe some weaknesses the Knicks roster had, as in they played defense. So even though they might not have brought the same things on the offensive end, but they could have brought something to the team by doing something that covered up for flaws of other players. Uh, another guy we got excited about at the end of last year, Iman Schumpert, didn't end up having the season that most of us hoped he would have. But towards the end, he's starting to look like a basketball player again. Are you... <laughs> Uh, is are you excited about him going into next year, or are you hesitant because of what we saw transpire after last off season? 
Well, I think uh, maybe a little from column A and a little from column B. Uh, I wrote about this a little bit uh, on Baldwin Live, put up a sort of a post just uh, highlighting the uh, you know the couple of great plays that Shumpert made against the Nets, and talked a little bit about how it was sort of uh, you know a nice positive ending or you know, a positive element of an ending to what's been a, a really disappointing season for him and for the team. Um, there's there are there's clearly talent there. There's clearly the capacity to sort of put a variety of different things together with. You know, uh, being a, a better than league average, uh, you know, three uh, spot up three point shooter uh, at times. Um, being able to, uh, you know, attack the basket and get to the rim in ways that some other guys in the Knicks aren't able to. Uh, providing defensive pressure on the perimeter, being able to defend ones, twos, and some threes. You know, there there's a versatility that a player like Shumpert can offer you. Um, but he and you know and the option, you know, the, the chance that he'll he'll you know sort of explode for a big night every now and again, as we saw you know last year against the uh, the Indiana Pacers in the second round, where he was arguably their second best player throughout that series, or, or I mean for stretches of it, even their first best player. Um, uh, and you know this year against the Spurs, against Houston, basically that's about it for him this year. But um, uh, there's there's uh, the raw material there for something special. I think maybe not necessarily a, a, you know a a star caliber player, but a productive two-way starter on a good team. Um, the ho- and his his confidence clearly seemed to have been shot, uh, you know, throughout the season. You know, constantly being involved in trade rumors, having his uh, you know his play and his contributions kind of downgraded. Uh, you know, having some issues with with Carmelo Anthony, with Mike Woodson, and so on and so forth. And then you know, when you're out on the court not producing, and then it becomes like quicksand. You know, the the you know the harder you work, the harder it is to get back out. Um, there's, I think, there's enough there to be hopeful that things can turn around and be, uh, and that he can be a, a productive part of the next good iteration of the Knicks. But uh, I think you have to be concerned that coming off of a strong end to last season, he began this season so you know having such struggles and really didn't ever find himself for a consistent period. Yeah, and I think you, you, you hit it pretty much on the head. And what we're expecting out of him isn't for him to be the second best player on the team or some superstar, but he's an excellent complementary piece on a good team to a superstar player because of what his skill set brings. Uh, Lamar, Lamar Odom, what are, what are your thoughts on the Knicks potentially bringing him in? You think there's any upside there, or you think this is just a waste of time? Uh, I mean, if it's... if, if... I, I have a hard time getting too exercised about the idea of giving a veteran minimum salary to somebody. I mean, or you know, giving somebody a make good deal and seeing if they have anything left in the tank for you know for training camp in the preseason. Um, you know, obviously there's familiarity with you know Phil Jackson and, and the kinds of things that Phil Jackson would like to do. Uh, I mean, it's also it's also worth noting that we don't know. Uh, we don't know for sure if Mike Woodson is going to be gone or not. I think we all expect that Mike Woodson is going to be gone. Um, we don't know who Phil Jackson will bring in to, to make his new head coach, but we know that you know, Phil Jackson has been pretty clear that he wants to, or he, he, he still sees value in the triangle system. He believes in system basketball. A guy like Odom, uh, at his you know sort of the peak of his powers a few years back, was a guy that can fill a lot of roles on a good team. I'm skeptical that he's able to return to that level of play, though, because he hasn't played it in what three years now um was obviously dismal in his brief period in dallas uh you know was a, a helpful defensive player for the los angeles clippers you know he got he was sort of those contributions were a little bit underrated the clippers would have loved to have had a guy give them defensively as a third big what uh, this year what odom gave him last year um but and then obviously you know couldn't stay healthy this season uh brief you know stint over in in spain i, I you know 
in and around that a million different personal issues that have sort of derailed him over the course of the last few years. If he can square that stuff away and, you know, if, if having Phil Jackson back in his life would be a positive influence, I mean, if, if all the costs is, the, you know, the least money you can spend on somebody, then great. But I, I kind of tend to think the next version of the Knicks will need to focus a little bit more on young legs and trying to figure out, uh, you know, who can maybe be a long-term piece that can be had inexpensively uh, while we rebuild the roster than, um, you know, hoping that someone at, you know, age 33, 34, 35 can reclaim former glory. To exemplify the defensive impact you mentioned, Odom, the, for people who are listening, oh, the Clippers were about 10 points better defensively when Odom was on the court last year. Now, some of that was DeAndre Jordan wasn't the defensive player he was this year, and Odom also played a lot of minutes with Eric Bledsoe, but he definitely had a good impact on that team. I want the young legs versus veterans, I, I think... It's it's about balance, and last year it seems like the Knicks went too far with the veterans. This year they maybe went too far with the inexperienced guys. Because I, this is something I think really hurt the team this year, is that they just had a lack of basketball IQ. And so I don't know how they go about it, but finding some balance between bringing maybe vets who can lead and help, plus in addition to having some young guys who could also keep the team fresh, is something that should be high on Phil Jackson's list. Uh, yeah, I, I 100% agree that you know balance is is the real key there. I mean, it's in terms of the the youth hampering the Knicks. I mean, I guess the, the main sort of piece you'd point to there, I guess, would be Tim Hardaway Jr. You know, playing um, you know more than 1,800 minutes as a rookie, and you know, obviously struggling pretty pretty significantly on the defensive end of the court. And if his shot wasn't going down from the perimeter, then you know he could those minutes could be real you know real challenging minutes for those those Knicks units. But I mean, you know, you're talking about all the guys that play, or all of the other guys that played really heavy minutes for the Knicks this season were all established veterans. You know, so, I mean, the lack of basketball IQ uh, is. It's a factor, but it's also a factor that I don't know is necessarily going to change a whole heck of a lot because I don't expect you know guys like you know if Carmelo is to come back, if they're going to you know I, I don't I doubt that the Knicks are going to be able to move or would necessarily maybe not even want to move J.R. Smith. Um, you, you know, you know Felton there. Oh, there'll be uh, no Shepard. moving J.R. Smith on this podcast. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would, I would uh, forgive me, forgive me for even bringing up the topic. Um, but uh, you know, t- uh, I mean, the guys that are that are the, you know the tops in the rotation are all guys that have been around for a long time, uh, with the exception of, of Shumper, you know, and he'll be heading into his fourth year, you know, with uh, you know plenty of minutes under his belt too. I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot. of I mean, Some of that might go down to coaching. You know, wh- whoever's uh, you know in charge next year. You know, maybe making a more concerted effort to stagger those lineups. Like, if you're going to put Amare out there for for heavy minutes, then maybe don't put Tim Hardaway Jr. with him, with along with Felton. You know, having several defensive sieves on the floor at the same time. You know, maybe you need to kind of have somebody, uh, you know, a watchdog able to run herd uh, on some of those groups. Um, you know, maybe uh, rather than you know riding someone like Tyson Chandler for huge minutes early. Uh, you know, and then watching his play continue to deteriorate, you know, he needs to sort of play some minutes with good lineups, some minutes with bad lineups, but don't make him the only guy responsible all the time. Um, there's a lot of things that they need to sort of figure out. And I mean, the, the, the issue with the uh, the youth and, and, you know, the young talent is there really aren't a whole lot of ways right now for the Knicks to be able to add 
uh, young cost controlled talent just be, you know based on the deals that they've made to give away draft picks over the next few seasons and the fact that they're already going to be over the salary cap and, and luxury tax even before we're talking about them you know re, uh, re-upping Carmelo if, that, if that's an, indeed what they want to do certainly seems that that's what they want to do um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how Jackson is able to find pieces and actually add talent there um, but uh, yeah yeah I mean I think in in the in the course of doing that you know, he might not really have many more options than to look to add, you know, rookie free agents or, you know, training camp invitees and see who, see who sticks. As we know, the Knicks organization has, not, has had some success in finding those guys in the last several years. I mean, that end of the bench is where guys like Jeremy Lin and Chris Copeland and, and you know, uh, Ture Murray, some of those guys have, have sort of stuck around. But uh, it seems like the Knicks are going to need to hit on several of those and maybe keep them around uh, if they want to, you know, kickstart that youth movement a little bit more quickly. All right, you talked about going forward. Now, I've brought this point up before, and I'm not sure if it's maybe, and I haven't really gotten a response to it, so I want to bounce it off you. Now, if you're Phil Jackson, can't Amari Stoudemire and Andrea Bargnani are going into the last years of their contract. They have opt-outs, ETOs, I don't know whatever the exact wording is, but they can choose not to pick up the final years of their contract. Now, can't you, as the president team, go to them and be like, guys, listen, I really respect what you've done for this organization, and I appreciate it. But we're looking to go in a different direction going forward, and I'm just going to let you know. And obviously, the, the coach would already be hired when this has happened, and Jackson would have talked to the coach and all that. So I'm just skipping a couple steps forward also. Okay. But you guys aren't going to be a big part of what we're doing here going forward. I'm not sure how many rotation minutes that are going to be available for you because we're just trying to balance out the roster a little bit. We have Carmelo who we're building around, and I'm assuming Carmelo's back also. And we need to complement him with more defensive-oriented players and spot-up shooters than what you guys bring. If you guys want to guarantee yourself large minutes in a rotation, you'd be better off opting out of your contract instead of coming back here. Is that is that something that he can do, or is that considered unethical? I don't know that it's necessarily considered unethical. I think, um, you know, to a certain extent, I'm sure that the players and their agents would appreciate having that kind of, you know, uh, you know something in the way of, you know, forthrightness like that. Like, like, listen, this is the role we envision for you going forward, and if you're on board with that, then cool. But if not, then, you know, it, it might, you know, behoove you to opt out. That said, though, I mean, if I'm Amari Stoudemire and I'm looking at, uh, you know, the choices, uh, well, I might not really be wanted to play starters minutes here anymore, but if I opt in, I make $23.4 million next year, you know, or if I'm Andrea Bargnani and I say, I, I have set my, you know, my trade value, my contract value on fire over the last five years with, I mean, everybody in the league now knows I'm a negative player on both ends of the floor that, you know, like I'm a defensive problem and the Knicks offense went from being bottom third in the league to top five in the league when I went out. Like I can either look for more minutes elsewhere or I can opt in and make $11.5 million next year. I think that, you know, there's a, there might be a professional pride thing. There might be a point of, you know, you know, well, I I don't, I don't want to be where I'm not wanted, but it's really difficult to envision those guys making eight-figure and a heavy eight-figure salaries saying, you know, let me leave that on the table to go plan my trade elsewhere because I want to win or I want the chance to play a lot of minutes. Guys have done that, to be sure, but I don't know if guys have done that. You know, like Amari coming toward the end of the line for, you know, for his career, 
um, uh, Bargnani really looking like uh, you don't even know what could come next. I mean, there's you know people were talking earlier this year about whether Bargnani, when he was done with this contract, would wind up back in Italy as opposed to getting another NBA shot. Um, I think you know Phil Jackson can go to you know you know, go to the to, to those players, and I mean the, I'm sure the Knicks would love to see that sort of um, you know influence wielding a little bit from Phil Jackson. It's part of why you're paying him, but uh, I don't know that I necessarily think that there's a high likelihood that those sort of players would would play ball on that level to be able to sort of afford the Knicks better flexibility. And to be clear, I agree with you that I don't think it would work. I'm. I just think it's something you have to at least throw a dart at the spin around and try. I mean, it's worth the shot to try and get oh, yeah. that roster they, flexibility. They got to try. I mean, they have to try anything and everything to get that roster flexibility. I mean, they, there should be, you know, there should be absolutely everything on the table. You know, I mean, it's, you know, we talk about the the, the lack of defensive uh, talent and, and, and options on the roster. And, you know, then in that context, you look at someone like Tyson Chandler and say, well, he's got to be, you know, the lone unmovable piece. Now, that said, I mean, people who watch Tyson Chandler this year know that he sort of, he very rarely operated at a high level. You know, he was he was defending like he, like uh, the 2011 Tyson Chandler before he broke his leg, and then basically once he came back and realized that he was the only guy defending and he was never getting the ball and, uh, you know, it wasn't going to work out well for this team, he kind of seemed to check out for a large stretch of the season. But that's a guy making $14.6 million next year who might have some value someplace else and might be able to help you replenish your coffers. you got to look at you know what his value might be around the league at this point. Um, you know There aren't a whole lot of other guys on, on short money deals. You know, the, the, the money on some of these guys doesn't stack up to uh, you know, be able to bring back something of real value. But you know, I, I don't think they're going to you know, look to move Tim Hardaway Jr. anywhere. I think the front office really likes you know, having his scoring ability. Um, Shumpert, I mean, it depends on, I guess, what level of value he's perceived to have. Phil Jackson has said, you know, he likes Phil, he likes Shumpert and he wants to see that sort of defensive intensity on a nightly basis. Um, there aren't a whole lot of movable pieces that seem like they're going to bring back some value, but everything should be on the table for the Knicks because if they don't, they really just, they've already sort of strip mined a lot of the assets to get better quick that they might, that other teams might have access to. Is Timmy really a Phil Jackson type of guard, though? He's frail, small, not a good passer. I, I, I've been thinking that Jackson might he might not fit into the kind of player that Jackson likes. That, I mean, it's possible. Uh, you know, the, yeah, you're right that uh, there's a, a maybe a bit more of an emphasis when you when you look at wing players on uh, on you know, Bulls, you know the Bulls and the Lakers teams of the past on decision making and you know uh, you know sort of being in the right place at the right time and doing the right thing as opposed to being able to make the explosive or flashy play. But if you know, you know, from moving from year one to year two, you you know, if, if Hardaway is able to, you know, show more consistency and you know, being a you know a, a knockdown spot up shooter, a guy that can you know when he gets that pass on this in the second you know second movement of the triangle or whatever, can you know can kind of knock it down, and if you know shows a little bit of progress on the defensive end, there's value to guys who can you know can get their own shot, who can get off even in that system. Um, and also, and again, it's where you know we have to remember we don't know exactly who's going to be running the show and what exact system they're going to run. So, uh, you know, but again, it's another one of those things where you know we banged the Knicks so much over the course of, uh, of the last however many years for you know getting a young player that has some warts but has some talent and is young, cheap, and under your control for a number of years, and then getting rid of that person in, in the interest of trying to find something maybe a surer bet that's almost invariably more expensive 
and you know, but is more of a known quantity. And then watching some of those younger guys go on to you know be, become positive players at relatively low costs elsewhere. Um, I'm not saying that you should be uh, afraid of making a trade that would move Tim Hardaway Jr. or Amon Shumpert or you know one of those sorts of players in that kind of deal just because it hasn't worked out in the past. But um, it's worth remembering that the, the you know the value of some of those guys is that they're you know young t- young players tend to improve and develop. And if you can if you can get them to do that while making like a million and a half dollars as opposed to trying to pay somebody else seven million dollars to be roughly as good as you think they are, there's you know there's some value to and flexibility in that. Let's do two generic NBA playoff questions to wrap this up. They start on Saturday. Uh, a lot of the matchups are kind of finicky right now. We don't really know where they're going, so I got to keep them really generic and kind of. They're okay. they're all right questions. I'm, I'm not going to lie. If, <laughs> if you had to pick. One team in the East not named the Pacers or Heat to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, who would it be? Uh, Toronto Raptors. Okay. I think, I think that, I mean, they're, I believe, I haven't looked at the, at the, the per possession stats or, yeah, at this point, but I believe they're top 10 on both sides of the ball right now. Um, they're, you know, been, uh, you know, lights out for the most, I mean, they've slid a bit, a, a bit defensively of late because they were without Amir Johnson for a while, but they got him back in the mix. He's looking healthy and all right again. Um, they're deep. They're, they play in a way that will you know make life hard on opponents, and they can score. Um, I, I'm not so sure that, that uh, I believe that uh, Demar Derozan is going to be a top. You know, you know his, him sort of dribbling around picks and taking mid range jumpers doesn't seem like it's necessarily the most uh, you know scary option as, as an offense. But um, I think that Kyle Lowry is a guy that I wouldn't mind putting my money on in the playoffs, and I think that there's enough there to be able to you know work matchups in their favor. I'm with you. I think Toronto's a very good team, but the DeRozan thing worries me with them. How much of their possessions he eats up taking contested mid-range jumpers worries me. But they are a very good team. All right, let's go to the Western Conference. The the Grizzlies and Mavericks play tonight. How would you want... I'm going to assume the Thunder beat the Pistons and get the two seed. So how would you like those matchups to fall out? What would you be more entertained by if you could arrange those? Hmm. I guess I would... uh... I mean, from just from the, the sort of the narrative perspective, I guess I'd like to see, uh, Mem- you know, San, San Antonio, Memphis, and Oklahoma City, Dallas, because I think you know there's such play playoff history with those teams. Um, but from you know, the, and I, I haven't you know looked too much yet at the head to heads. We still got to work on all of our preview stuff. But uh, I know that San Antonio has basically mopped the floor with with Memphis since that eight over one uh, playoff upset. Um, so. Uh, and Memphis has, you know, had a little bit more success with Oklahoma City. Dallas plus, you know, Dirk against the Spurs. There would be sort of a, a, you know, a great historical element to that. So yeah, I guess let's go with that. I'd like to see Memphis beat Dallas because I think that those two series, um, Oklahoma City versus uh, versus Memphis and San Antonio versus Dallas, would probably be more competitive than the other way around. I'm with you on that. And just watching Dirk and Duncan go at it, maybe one last time. Who knows? Maybe they, they could end up meeting again but it'd be fun to watch Dirk versus Duncan again uh what do you have coming up at Yahoo Sports the ball don't lie blog well we're gonna have over the next couple of days just a boatload of preview content we're gonna be writing previews for every individual series um the my you know yeah there's still a lot to be figured out with the, the seedings and the lineups I just had a post up this afternoon on sort of what's still at stake in the last night of the season so who's playing for what seeds what needs to happen for things to shake out 
Uh, and we're gonna, yeah, I mean, you know, plenty of, of forward-looking stuff for the for the playoffs. I believe that uh, my my colleague Kelly Dwyer has got something going up in a little while on the sale of the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so even if your team's not in the playoffs, we'll still probably be writing at least a little bit about you on Ball Don't Lie. Are you are you Kelly and Eric doing like the three-way split for the previews again? You each having your own section, or you doing it the same way as you did last year? Yeah, it'll, the the end, each section will be a little bit different than it has been than it was last year. But yeah, we're you know we kind of uh, people seem to like having the three separate voices kind of all coming together in one thing, looking at things from different angles. So we're going to be doing the same kind of thing. It might wind up being a little bit shorter than it has been in years past, just because so few matchups have been set at this point, and we kind of got a quick turnaround. But uh, yeah, you'll have uh, Kelly Dwyer, Eric Freeman, and myself will all be writing on each series. And for those that they give good stats perspective, good eye test perspective, and they add a little bit of fun into those. Those are must-reads as you get ready for the playoffs. Go to yahoo.com, the ball don't lie blog. Dan, I know you're busy. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you jumping on. My pleasure, Brian. Thanks so much. And that wraps up this edition of the Knicks Wall Podcast. The Knicks Wall Podcast.